Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us! This is... Are these books struck? Yeah, really got this down by now. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we've been reading the titillating bestseller <laughs> Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely hit our climax last Thursday. Hey. Hey, now. <laughs> we pretty much agreed that a man's touch didn't need to be involved. It was a stiff happy hour where Ooh. we didn't leave anything for the imagination. No blue balls here, ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From orgasms to archaic female traditions to the varying psychology behind eating disorders, we, three women, are putting it all out there and exploring our wonderlands. Ems, hmm. yeah. what's on the playlist for today? Oh. <laughs> Today, we have another original cocktail recipe from our one and only bartender. Woo-woo. You'll understand the reasoning behind the name for this one. Today's cocktail is called Infidelity. You'll find in a moment that these ingredients sound wrong together, but that's the reason (laughs) our bartender created this combination of flavors. In his words... Everything about this cocktail is wrong. That's why it's called infidelity. <laughs> good answer, Ricardo. Very right. good answer. <laughs> Here to share the recipe for this oh-so-wrong beverage is our oh-so-right bartender, oh. Ricardo. Ricardo. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Hola. You Hola. caught me by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ricardo. How are you? Great. Great. How are you? Great, thanks. Yay. Are you Good. ready for some infidelity? Ooh. I don't know if I are. know I am. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll speak for myself. Yeah, I hope that Andrew <laughs> and Jason are not. <laughs> uh, so the cocktail of today is called Infidelity. And Ooh. let's go deep down in the recipe and understand how and why this cocktail is working, even if the recipe doesn't make any sense. So, one ounce, <laughs> <laughs> one ounce of amaretto, one ounce of tequila, one ounce of vodka, one ounce of lemon juice, and uh, two dashes of uh, the hot sauce of your preference. I would go for Tabasco and a little bit of sugar that we're gonna use for our sugar rim on the glass. So this cocktail is gonna be spicy, sweet, sour, like everything is wrong together, like cheating, don't cheat. But at the end of the day- (laughs) The lesson for today. It tastes very good. Like, I don't wanna say like cheating, but like, it tastes good. It tastes delicious hey, no. like infidelity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a quote from bartender Ricardo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if no one knows that you're drinking it. Like the same thing. If no one knows infidelity oh. tastes good, but like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you put all the ingredients in the shaker and you shake it with ice and you strain it over ice on your chilled glass where you pre-dit your sugar rim on one side as Mariana is 
doing or on all the rim as brand is doing so it depends on your taste if you want something very sweet every sip or if you would rather have a little bit of spiciness a little bit of sour a little bit of sweet every sip is gonna be different yeah i like a little bit of everything good when i'm cheating <laughs> <laughs> The ingredients in this cocktail scared the crap out of me yeah. when I saw oh, them. Yeah. I was like, I'm not drinking yeah. this. <laughs> Emma was like, are you sure? But it's actually delicious. Yeah, yeah it I'm works. I'm pleasantly surprised. It works. I honestly, weirdly, can't even really taste the alcohol in it. Yeah, it that's the... just tastes like a tangy... That's the scary part of this cocktail because the hot sauce and the sweetness from the sugar and the uh -huh. amaretto are gonna like cover the strong ABV that this cocktail has. Right. Because it's pretty go. much all booze other than the right. lemon it's three juice. Ounces it's of pretty liquor, much all booze. But you really don't taste it. It goes down easy. Yep. Like infidelity. Like infidelity. <laughs> I was gonna say something else, but Oh <laughs> my <laughs> Go ahead Mariana, say it. No, just use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> so alla vostra salute, ragazzi. <laughs> Thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> Mariana's losing it. She's drunk already. <laughs> well, two God. weeks in a row that all of a sudden we say something and Ricardo's like, okay, bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Good job, Mariana. Oh, sorry. Way to scare off our bartender. <laughs> Thank you, Ricardo. Bye, ladies. Bye. All right, ladies. Hiya. Salud. <laughs> Emma, that face. <laughs> you know, it kind of tastes like a margarita. Does it, it does. does. It does. It really does. It's that amaretto lemon. Yeah. Yes. yes. And it goes down really easy. Mm, Except for hey that now. kick of the spice, it does. Oh, maybe he put I a lot of spice, spice in yours. Okay. Yeah, I normally make at least two cocktails before we start recording, and this time I was like, let me wait. <laughs> I might have Slow to go get a second roll. one. But it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. delicious. It is good. Yeah. I guess this type of infidelity we do go for. We like this <laughs> one. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so, should we dive in? Yeah. This week, Lena and Aiden get to spend an entire evening together at a motel, and he drops... The L word. I could not oh, believe man. that. <laughs> Maggie finishes out her senior year feeling like nothing to Aaron. He goes on with his life, but she seems stuck in what they had, unable to move forward. She tries to revive things again, but when Marie finds Maggie's area code in Aaron's phone again, he calls it off for good. Years later, still feeling the sting, she begins to have questions about what happened between them. And when he's unresponsive to her, she admits the truth to her parents and goes to the police. Before she gets to court, her father will have killed himself. And Sloan and Richard invite Wes, a handsome co-worker, into their bed, a third partner which Sloan says finally makes her feel whole in their arrangement. But her newfound peace with her life gets blown to bits when Wes's partner... Also a co-worker, discovers the arrangement and confronts mm. Sloane. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. 
some more action-packed chapters we had here this week. Yeah, it was like a pretty explosive little section. My first question I had that I actually wanted to ask in the last episode and I forgot. Hmm. Why do you think the narrative for Maggie changed from the very, very first chapter of the book, which was the first time we explore Maggie, to all of the other ones. Do you know what I mean? At first, we were introduced to Maggie, and the author is is referring to her as you. Mm. Like, we're hearing Maggie as if the author is speaking to her. And in every other chapter, it's third person. Oh, that's interesting, because I didn't read it as if the author is saying you, like, you, Maggie. I read it as, like, we're inside Maggie's mind, and she's saying, like, you don't think about this the way, you know, you don't think about the way this is going to happen, but then, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost a first person. But even still, it switches. It does switch. It does switch. And I wondered if it was because, I'm not sure when, when in Maggie's narrative she meets the author, but I did wonder if the trial part of Maggie's story is happening in real time. Mm. And so she's able to give her like stream of thought consciousness huh. as it's happening versus the other stories happened in the past. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like reliving them mm-hmm. or trying to recall. But oh, probably right. Maggie's is happening in the moment. And especially because with Maggie, we hear about the letters. We hear about the text messages, like all these different things that are from the past that have been written down. So maybe that was a way to kind of write that part of her story. While like mm. Brandy just said, this part is happening more in real time. Maggie's chapter this week was so dark. It was. I think they've all been pretty dark. I remember uh, mentioning in the first episode where I was really struck by her announcing her father's suicide right Mm -hmm. away on page one. And now we got a glimpse into what really happened and how that all came about, which is it was it was heartbreaking to say the least. I mean, we we find out about Maggie finally reveals to her parents exactly what has been going on and why she has been kind of in this gloom state. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, I knowing that she had mentioned that her parents were alcoholics, the way that they reacted, specifically the way that her father, Mark, reacted to the news of what she had, what had happened to her, I was moved by their relationship. Yeah. I was moved by the way he, he didn't necessarily know how to physically react, but he was there for her. He didn't necessarily lash out or mm-hmm. become aggressive. Yeah. He, Lisa writes that Maggie says that he doesn't say a word, but opens his arms to his daughter and she runs into them. They are, after all, the best arms in the world. They cry together until he stops and then she does. So sad. And we also find out something else that I wanted to bring up, which reminded me a lot of what people right now are going through with all this unemployment, people losing their jobs, people associating their purpose for life with what they do on a daily. Right. And we find out kind of like what we think were the motives or what propelled, unfortunately for Mark to slit his wrist was because he had lost his purpose for life. Mm -hmm. He had kind of lost that, the reason for living Mm -hmm. in a way. And it was because of his job. And a lot of people are going through this right now. And I couldn't just, I could not disassociate that from what is happening in the world. 
Well, especially in this country, we place such value on such importance. Yeah, on what people do. It's the first question you ask somebody when you meet them. What do you do? After how are you? Yeah. (laughs) After how nice to meet you. What do you do? do? Yeah. I I wrote this quote down because it just shattered me of Maggie's father. Toward the end, he barely worked at all, but spent every day of his life thinking he might have to work tomorrow Mm -hmm. because he was on call. Nobody knows exactly what he felt because he didn't share the dark bits, but the dissipation of dignity can drive even the strongest men mad. And in an earlier chapter, Lena says that she fears loneliness more than she fears death. Mm. In this description of Maggie's father, I really felt the heaviness in him of years of not having a purpose and not being able to provide for his family. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but agreeing that the thing I fear most in life more than death, is feeling useless. Mm. I feel like people look forward to retirement their whole lives. I don't want to ever retire. I want to die old, (laughs) at work, in the middle of a line, on set. Like, that's how I hope I die. (laughs) But I wondered when I was reading this, like, what do you ladies fear more than death? Honestly, there is nothing that I fear more than death. That has always haunted me since I was a kid. Wow. And it's almost crippling at times. One of my one of my biggest fears is being employed in a job and then getting news that one of my loved ones has died because mm-hmm. I don't know how people still work after having yeah. that information. You know, I hear all these stories of people that are about to make their Broadway debut and night before opening one of their parents dies and they have to decide yeah. if they're going to go to the funeral. Or open their show. And usually they open the show and they get through it. And that always has confounded me. Like, how do they do it? Because I don't know that I could. So that that is my biggest fear is death, whether it's me or my loved ones, but mostly my loved ones. Yeah. But the other fear is um, that I won't – that I won't really, like, hit where I want to be career-wise ever. You know, that I keep thinking, oh, well, it'll happen this year. And if not this year, it'll happen the next year. And then it'll happen the Mm -hmm. next year. But and I know it's bad that I'm putting like a time limit or that I'm that I'm finding these caps for like things that I know that I want to do. But I do feel like there is a certain level of success that I want to reach career wise. And I'm kind of scared that I'll just never get there. And I'll have just spent my entire life chasing this career that doesn't go anywhere that I really want it to go. And then I'll have wondered, maybe I should have done something else with my time. Like, will it have been worth it if I spent my entire life and all of my energy doing just this one thing? Mm. You know, it feels, I don't know if I should be putting all of that pressure on on just my job. But as you were just saying, that is, we do put all of our importance and our value on what we do. And so for me to not reach what I want to reach would feel like I just kind of spent my whole life having a wonderful, beautiful life and having great relationships and enjoying the things I do, but will that be enough? Right. I guess similarly, there's there's a lot of correlations. There's a lot of things that I, I, I like you, Emma, 
death for me is something that I definitely have always feared. And we've spoken about this before. The, the, the idea of losing my parents or losing Andrew and I have to outlive them and the pain about having to go through that is terrifying. And also the notion about time passing and then this moment will never happen again. And then if I do end up dying before them, I will just be a memory for the people that stay behind and they remember me. So it, it's all encompassing because there's a, there's a fear for me of time passing and me not doing what I want to be doing and not being fully present. There's also the idea of what if I regret something? What if I didn't do something or the what ifs have right. always been a challenge for me. Mm. But then the further I thought about this question when you first posed this to us, Brandy, um, the idea of going through something, suffering an accident, suffering through a traumatic experience and something happening to you again, which it could be an accident or it could be an illness. And then having to deal with that and not being able to overcome that, not being able to physically or mentally or emotionally mm-hmm. being strong enough to get through that. Mm-hmm. And having taken for granted every waking day where you were completely capable to do everything that you possibly could do, mm-hmm. that's something that I definitely fear, that that, that, I, that something again happens and I'm not strong enough to then mm-hmm. get to a place of where I'm not taking things for granted anymore and I just power through it. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like those individuals and people that keep on going through stuff and s- just see it as a bump in a road is really inspiring. Because it's hard not to take things for granted on a daily. And I think that that's, it's a lesson. I mean, it's a lesson, I think, for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're off to a cherry start. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling really. I mean, I feel like with the section that we've read, I don't know that there's going to be much cheery (laughs) content. Yeah, because I was going to say, well, let's go back to the beginning of Maggie. But then that's just me wanting to vent about how much I hate Aaron. Oh, my God. He, the way that he's playing with her like that, like, fuck him. It does feel like he's toying. He is totally toying with her. He is so manipulative. Maybe Maybe we can't. Even with what you brought up uh, last week, Brandy, with the whole isolation aspect, the way that we now learn that with these these her friends, he's making her be jealous of her friends. He's keeping her away right. from her friends. So she's not influenced by her friends. So her friends don't say anything about like how wrong this may be. Right. He's basically like overpowering her whole life. And mm-hmm. to a point that you had made last week, Mariana... Maggie's therapist in the chapters we read this week says he doesn't think it's Aaron's first time doing this. Right. And I have to agree. I also felt like I wasn't really sure how much of what he's saying to Maggie is true. I wasn't sure is did his wife actually find these text messages or is he just done with this and wants it to be over? And then, you know, they kind of start things up again And then he, you know, he's maybe flirting with the idea of starting things up with her. But then, oh, no, my wife found your area code in my phone. It's all cat and mouse. 
it's very weird. And it I is just, strange. I was just like, I don't buy this. Yeah, the area code is a very weird detail because they should all have the same area code. The area right. code. Or like, you know, at least us in New York, it's like I know it's a 212, a 917, a 646. Six, six. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there are several right. things it could be, but I know they're all New York. Isn't that, that was the a same in flag. Fargo? Right. That How many weird. area codes can there possibly right, be? Exactly. I I don't know how you guys felt about this, but during the trial, oh. how sick was it? This was unbelievable to me that how much looks played such a huge uh. part of this case. Mm-hmm. How all these young girls, fellow students that came to be on his behalf on the defense side, and they were comparing how they looked as opposed to how Maggie looked mm-hmm. to be like, well, if you didn't choose to be with one of them or seek one of them out, then how could you have ever seeked Maggie out? Right? I thought that was Right. Unreal. That whole like, how are we supposed to be expected to believe that he would have chosen you? Right. Out of all the other girls in his classes. I also thought it was really shitty. And again, this was a moment when I questioned whether or not Aaron was being honest with Maggie. I thought it was really shitty that that teacher who, when they were having their little fling, Mm. Aaron had said, I forget the teacher's name, but he had said, like, Mr. So-and-so is suspecting something. Like, we need Mm. to cool Mm -hmm. it. And there's a moment when Maggie excuses herself from that teacher's class and goes to Aaron's class And that teacher follows her and ends up at that classroom with her. And they kind of have a little back and forth. That teacher testifies on Aaron's behalf and says, you know, there was nothing untoward going on. I never noticed anything. So this guy's backing him up, even Mm -hmm. though, according to Aaron, this teacher had noticed something, which again made me wonder, was he making that up to somehow... Mm start to break things off with Maggie by saying people are noticing things we can't do this anymore or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hate this trial. If they find her if if this comes out to be that he's not guilty and no one believes her and they think that she's all made this up, I'm going to throw my book across the room. <laughs> well, it's a very public trial and you can go look it up. I should. Oh, that's my face true. should tell you everything you need to know about what you just said. Oh no, Brandy! Don't say that. I didn't okay, even I need another think about the fact that I could look this up. Sometimes I forget that this is nonfiction, right? Because that this it's is so non-fiction. scary, right? And it's so well written. I feel like, yeah. And you're getting so much insight into these women's brains that, yeah, it doesn't feel like it could be nonfiction but what's horrifying is that this poor girl like yeah her trial played out very publicly in this town where he's just been awarded teacher of the year right. or whatever it is right. and not even the town of the state he was awarded right. teacher of the year for the state of the state when all and this the, happens and it's somewhere in there it's written that because he's so decorated and he's loved and respected that there could not be a possibility Hoy. Hoy that he says that <sighs> fucking it's... hoy well <laughs> you hate that name i fucking but, hate hoy. she does hate hoy but since you have looked up the trial do you know because now that we now that this book is out and we're really getting maggie's all of the details that i'm sure weren't included in the trial and now we know because this is coming from maggie's point of view now hopefully anyone that reads this book would know it was true do you know if like marie you know I'm sure she's read this book by now. 
As far as I know, they're happily married. They're still together. <gasps> the entire really? town rallied around him. You've got to be kidding me. And he was oh, dismissed. My I think he God. had a year where he was suspended with pay. And then he just got his job back. Uh, I don't even want to finish this book now. <laughs> no, but see, that doesn't surprise me because so many hot topics are brought up in this book. Mm -hmm. So many things that should be talk topics. And like you said, Emma, you tend to forget that this is nonfiction. This is nonfiction. This is real life. This happens to women. We're talking right. about statutory rape. We're talking about suicide. We're talking about eating disorders. We're talking about infidelity, um, abuse. We're talking Female about affairs. orgasms, threesomes. Yeah, yeah. This is actual life. This really happens. And I'm mm -hmm. still infuriated from last week when we were discussing how there are all these reviews of people saying, please don't read this. How can you not read stuff like this? So then it doesn't surprise me that then the neighborhood or the state or the city or whatever that like are totally in awe of this fucking Aaron Nodell. Like, of course, they would feel like that because they don't want to see the reality of the situation. Right. Which is the same thing of these people not wanting to read a book, which really showcases and presents to you exactly what does happen to many women more often than not. Yeah. It's just it's. Well, I was also doing some research and I'm confusing myself now because I was actually doing this research about Lena. But mm. I think I accidentally looked up this information about North Dakota and Lena lives in Minnesota. Mm. But Maggie does live in North Dakota. And in North Dakota, up until this past year, if a woman was unfaithful to her husband, that was a crime punishable by jail time. It wasn't the truth if the husband cheated on the on wife. The it was only a crime if up a woman cheated. Up until a cheated. year ago? And that's, I don't even know if it was, if, if that... <sighs> was reversed or not it was just being looked at in 2020 they were saying like wait a minute this is a little weird like we should take a look at this but that's a law that existed up until you know it maybe still exists there are some countries that still practice femicide where they will oh yeah murder the woman if she's unfaithful yep now in 2020 mm-hmm yeah, so I feel like as I, as as I've been reading, you know, as I've been reading this book obviously, but then as I've been reading about Maggie's trial, it's one of those things that seems so horrifically outdated and then at the same time I have to yeah. keep reminding myself like no, you cannot you cannot forget that there are parts of the country and parts of the world where people just don't like women. People don't yeah. respect a woman's life. They don't right. Look who we had as a president for the Look past four years. Look who we had years. as a president. You can't underestimate True. how much people hate women. It's interesting, too, because when Maggie finally decides to come out, out with this, like she finally decides to tell her parents, she finally is like, you know, she might not be the first and she might not be the last. And that that's what that was told to her while she was having a conversation mm -hmm. with Sammy and Sammy's friends. Right. And Sammy mentioned this story because she asked permission. She asked Maggie's permission if she could kind of, you know, relay this information to these girlfriends to see what they thought. She kind of labeled it as a ghost story, Maggie's mm -hmm. ghost story, as if something that was haunting her and something that needed to get out. Now, have either of you 
had a ghost story? Have you, ex- is there a Brandy ghost story? Is there an Emma ghost story? Because I do have something that I want to share that this book made me start thinking about. But I was curious if either of you had one. I mean, I have one that's not, it's not sexual in nature. But when I was a little kid, you know, I grew up in a really small town in West Texas. So kind of everybody knew everybody. There was one night that I stayed over at my grandma's house and my lo- my little sister Shibli didn't really love being at grandma's house as much as I did. So she stayed home with my parents. And at some point in the middle of the night, somebody broke into our house and my parents only realized it because my mom had gotten up to go to the restroom and this person must have been in our living room when she got up to go to the restroom Mm. because she goes to the restroom. She comes back. She had to walk through the living room to get back to their bedroom. Mm. She says she literally lays down in bed, pulls the covers over her, and they hear the front door, which is right next to their bedroom. They hear the front door slam shut like somebody was intentionally trying to make it known that they had been there. And... So I came home the next morning to find, like, police there looking at, you know, the window where somebody must have gotten in. And the really creepy thing was that it had been raining, so there was mud. Mm. And there were footsteps that led (gasps) directly from our house to my next-door neighbor's house. And my next-door neighbor at the time was sort of connected in town. It was not a great relationship between my family and that family. Footsteps led directly there, but somehow they weren't able to prove anything. Like when when they went and questioned those people, it, they, nothing came of this investigation. Mm. And the reason that story haunts me to this day is because I got back the next morning and I felt so guilty. Shibli and I were so close at that age, so close. And I got home that next morning and realized, like, somebody could have done something to her. And I was so Mm. selfish Mm. to stay at my grandma's house without her. Like, why would I stay somewhere without Shibli? And I felt so horrifically guilty thinking something could have happened to her that I honestly think that follows me to this Mm. day, this feeling that something could happen and I won't be there. Mm. That's hard. Don't blame yourself for that, though. I mean, how would I you agree. have known? You would have never known that. that totally. Could have but it's one of those things that, you know, it it just makes you feel like. Um, helpless. Yeah. It makes you feel helpless. But also I I knew that when I would go to my grandma's house without Shibli, like I knew she it kind of bummed her out a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm. But at the same time, I knew she didn't want to go enough mm. to where she would go for me. Mm. So I would just go without her. Mm-hmm. And this was the one time where something bad happened that I was like, why? That why would you really go anywhere timing. without her? Aww. It was really yeah. bad timing. But it did bring up some guilt. Yeah, totally. What about you, Emma? Hmm. I don't have a great answer for this. I don't have, per se, a ghost story, something that haunts me to this day. Um, but I do – I was involved in a situation that I – feel terribly about when I think about, but I don't, I don't think about it that often. So I, this is not really a great answer to your question, (laughs) but it's something like really shameful that I feel really bad about as a woman, because I pride myself on being like a good 
whatever a good woman means, like a good girlfriend. And mm-hmm. I'm strong in the female code. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. that women are, you know, I'm giving you like a fist pump. You can't <laughs> fist pump? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm doing that. What's this called? You can't see like what a, I'm doing because this is a podcast, but I'm like <laughs> jabbing my <laughs> Well, we see it. I am spiraling, <laughs> y'all. I'm spiraling. Anyway. is stronger than I thought it was. <laughs> okay. But I, when I was a young teenager, I was hooking up with a guy who was dating. I won't call her a friend, but an acquaintance of mine. Hmm. Um, and at first I didn't realize that they were like really together. And so I felt like I was innocent, you know, and just kind of <sighs> hanging out with this guy that I enjoyed spending time with, mm-hmm. but then I realized that they were actually together, and he justified it by saying that he wasn't really into her, and oh. that made it enough for me, which is so terrible because now I would never, but when I think about the fact that I was part of someone else's infidelity, that I was that third person, makes me feel terrible, and I don't think she ever knew or if she oh, did, wow. she never came to me about it. And, you know, we, we haven't spoken in years. And I don't imagine that we probably ever will speak again. Mm. But it's one of those things where if she were to come out of the woodwork and, like, reach out out of the blue and send me a message, I would – I don't know how I would respond because I would feel so bad. And this was so long ago, but – What uh, an interesting parallel to Sloan. And what happens to her this week? Yeah, very interesting parallel. Yeah. <laughs> But she thought that she knew. I knew that she didn't know. That, that you well, were also I mean, we'll get 17. Into that. Yeah, you're not so even. much younger. Yeah. Eh. So that's not but, a great answer, but. But now in your 30s, you do know that that was something that was not. Yeah. It wasn't the best course of action. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. not girl code. It was, it not, was that. not fist bump. <laughs> it yeah. was not that fist bump. Peace <laughs> sign. <laughs> so with each of the stories that you both mentioned, there are a lot of stories that I and I started thinking about of things that I've been a culprit to, but there's one thing that I really, it's interesting when you're reading a book or where you see a performance and how art imitates life or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And while I was reading this section, I actually ended up reading to my parents a DM that I had received two months ago that I had kind of been saving it. Because it was something that when I received it, it kind of caught me off guard. Because mm. it was an individual, actually a family member, who reached out, who I hadn't spoken to in a very long time. Who kind of apologized for something that he had done when he was really young. This kid, oh, wow. when this happened, he was 11. I was 17. So it's it's a very hmm. strange story but I it was something that I had kind of buried down and I didn't really want to remember exactly what had happened because I felt vulnerable at the time I felt embarrassed by it I felt kind of out of control so let me backtrack when I was a junior in high school I had done a summer program a dance summer program My parents allowed me to stay with a friend who lived in Jersey while we were attending this program. But for one weekend, my mom's uncle and her cousins decided to have a family gathering and they invited me. So I decided to go and it was in Jersey. I stayed over. That night, 
while I was sleeping, <laughs> this kid, an 11 year old kid, came into my bedroom while I was sleeping and started touching me oh inappropriately. And I at Oof. first thought it was a dream. Oh my God. Because it just, you know, sometimes how you're in a daze or you're in some kind of like, yeah, there's yeah. different states of sleep. Of course. So I was like, no, this is not happening. And I remember like right now, I, I vividly remember me opening my eyes and looking at him and being like, what are you doing? And then I'm like, no, this can't be happening. He left the room. I thought he had gone back to sleep and he ended up doing it multiple times again throughout <gasps> the night. What? And you, oh my. So and obviously the is, you were like conscious enough to know that it was happening. Right. Because at that point I couldn't at go back point, to sleep. Yeah. Oh my God. I ended up calling my parents that night and they were in Miami. I was in Jersey and I was like, I don't know what to do. Please don't call them. I, I'm not, I don't feel safe in this place. I knew my uncle and my cousins, if they knew, because it was the first time or the second time that I had really met my aunt's cousin, my mom's cousins. It was, I, I knew my, my mom's uncle very, very well. But I just didn't feel, I felt very vulnerable to actually speak out in the middle of the night. So I decided to kind of not, for, I decided that it would be best for my parents not to say anything at the time mm-hmm. and for, for me to just take a cab the next morning, go back to my friend's place and for my parents to actually talk to my Once uncle. Once you were out of My there. mom's uncle. And, right. Right. But this kid actually, or this man now, after so many years, decided to reach out out of the blue on Instagram to basically apologize and say that after many iterations of himself that he wanted to kind of make peace, that he felt very bad about what he had done because he was very young at the time, but he was an 11-year-old. Yeah. You know? You're his ghost story, too. I'm I'm probably his ghost story, too. I mean, good of him to reach out. I know it's doesn't make what happened okay but at least i think at least he realized what he did was wrong and it, uh confronted you because that takes a lot of courage that takes a lot of guts oh, it does God, take I'm a lot of sorry guts. you had to deal with that that's that is really so scary. scary it's 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 strange to think about. It's strange to actually verbalize. It's 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 a very strange experience because you would never expect for someone that's younger than you or someone yeah. to kind of experiment with you, but knowing that there, it wasn't consensual, <laughs> that it was not something that I wanted. It was something that I was horrified by and I had forgotten about it. I had totally like just completely yeah. moved on from it out. Yeah. It's wild how your body can try to protect you like that. Yeah. But this, but yeah, I, I mean, good for him to reach out. I don't think that I, I, I haven't responded to his DM. I don't know if I ever will. Because huh. it just, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. It made me feel very uncomfortable when I realized who he was. Right. Mm. And well, my mom never to. really talked to her cousins again. It's just, it's very much at a distant distance. Yeah. And my uncle and I, until before he passed away, or my mom's uncle, I keep on calling him my uncle because he is my uncle. Um, we had a very good relationship, but we never really spoke about it again. Once it was out there, we just kind of all moved on. 
So many times the man gets the hall pass. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what it is about that kind of behavior that it goes unspoken. You know, if it was somebody who had gotten in trouble with the law for drugs or for robbery or for, you know, any other host of crimes, they're talked about among family members. But I feel like when it's something that's when it's like something physical. Yeah. Like it just gets very quietly swept under the rug and like unacknowledged like it's Mm -hmm. it just goes away. I wonder if part of that is because we've created this stigma that sex is wrong or that it's like uncomfortable to talk about our bodies and sexual pleasure. You know, we're much quicker to let our kids know that they shouldn't do drugs or that they shouldn't carry Mm -hmm. a gun than it is to like not sexually touch someone the wrong way. Like we don't really have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We kind of tiptoe around that stuff when they're young because it's uncomfortable for the parent to talk about. Yep. So I think we've created a a whole. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. The worst part is how guilty my parents feel, and I and when as Aww. I was reading the DM, how like I could see in their face that they were just like they they were saddened by the situation, and they were always so overly protective of me that the one time that they allowed me to do something like that, right. because it was a family member, and you just you just never know, and it's just it's. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that things like that do continue happening and that people and just stay quiet. And they always will, I think. I hope not. Well, changing tunes. Yes. I thought it was really interesting that Lena was allowed to text Aiden, but Maggie wasn't allowed to text Aaron. Hey. What? That is interesting. <laughs> like, isn't Aiden a little bit concerned that his wife might see those texts? Yeah, you right. would think so. Because the way that Aaron protected his marriage or, you know, the facade of protecting his marriage, or at yeah. least he really was concerned that she would find out. Aiden doesn't seem to give two shits. But Aiden strikes me as the kind of man who, like, his phone is never out of his orbit. You know what I mean? Like, he's always holding it or like it's always locked it's just like if it were me in that situation i would be terrified to leave my phone anywhere he doesn't seem to exhibit any fear i mean we also really never hear from his point of view but i don't imagine that he's like clutching his phone to his pearls you know Mm -hmm. but she does note that he's only available when he's available like it doesn't seem like he can just go meet her at the drop of a hat it seems like the stars have to align with what his wife is doing and where the kids are and then he text out of the blue to be like are you free right now and if you're not Mm -hmm. i can't do it because they'll be back or whatever it is you know i'm very confused about how i feel about their relationship because i'm really happy for lena i know and the like you said, when, when Aiden dropped the L-bomb, I was really confused because the whole scene in the motel just seemed so beautiful. I know. I mean, everything else felt terrible. Like when they were having sex in the car and her orgasm was like nowhere near as important as his. Like he didn't even wait yeah. for her and didn't care and then just left. But yeah. then there was that quick 180 where then they're in the motel room and and I could feel that. Like, I knew that feeling of of what Lena, like, that adoration and 
mm-hmm. and fun and love that Lena was feeling. So I was like, well, if I can feel that, then he must be exhibiting that. But where did that come from? And why did he say he loves her? And I, 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 I'm confused. I agree. It felt very out of the blue, this interaction at the motel. And she says he's being extra attentive to her. He actually wants to talk to her for once, which isn't normally the case. The only thing I could think of is that for once... They're in a place where they can't really get caught and neither one of them has to go. But then do you think that he really does feel this way about her? I don't think so. Yeah, because I don't know that I believe it. I don't think so. It doesn't come up in their next encounter either. Even though she calls her friend that morning to be like, he said it. He said he loved me or whatever. We see Lena again later in the book and she doesn't mention it at all. And neither does he. The fact that she is in panic, in like this, in this state of panic, when she's trying to get to a place where he only has an allotted period of time mm-hmm. for her to get to. And if she doesn't make it there in time, he's like, okay, don't worry about it. Just like another time, a month from an hour or whatever. And he doesn't give a fuck about that. Right. I felt so bad for her because like both of you, I want this to work out. I want her to have, feel the love that she never felt with Ed. I want it to, I want her to have that. But I don't think Aiden is the man that will, that will give her that, that will really be fully committed to her. And yeah. and, and she's starving for that. She yeah. wants that unconditional reciprocated love. Yeah. It really broke my heart. The Towards the end of Lena's chapter, you know, there's that very explicit list of things that Aiden does to her that she loves. Uh-huh. These very graphic physical <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. things. Uh. And it said so much to me about Lena. This woman pays attention to every moment Mm -hmm. of intimacy between herself and Aiden. This description goes on for nearly a full page, her list of things she loves that he does to her. She yearns so much for this kind of contact and connection that when she finally gets it, she's so fully invested in every detail. But what really broke my heart is she gives us this long list of things she loves. And, you know, they have sex in his vehicle or hers, I can't remember. And then she says that he kisses her and she describes it as like the kiss to end all kisses. It's like the most magical kiss she's ever had. And then he gets out of the car. He pees into the brown trees Mm -hmm. and then he drinks a beer. Beer. Mm -hmm. Just like Ed. And then the writer says, when you ask Lena how long this encounter was, she'll say, gee, I think it lasted all of 30 minutes. And I, I was like, yeah. that broke my heart. What? Yes. Yeah. These little 30-minute increments that she gets once a month are what make up her life now. She lives for these moments. And this guy gets out of the car and he has a piss and he drinks a beer. And right. that's what it is to him. Right. It exactly. feels like. Exactly. But they mean so much to her because she's never had them. She was missing out, like having been married to someone that like deprived her of the thing that she wanted the most, which was a French kiss. So having a kiss like that with a man who kissed her for more than two minutes (laughs) to maybe like an equivalent of a half an hour it meant the world to her and more. And it's a moment that she'll hold on to for at least the next time they see each other. And then some. 
I also think location is so important in these stories because I was just thinking how rare it is to have grown up with your uh, high school boyfriend and then be a grown woman with a family and that high school boyfriend is still living in the same town. Yeah, that's You're, There's true. not much distance, you know? Like, Mm-mm. I forget about that here that I rarely see people I grew up with because most of us moved out of Richmond or they stayed, but I left. And so I think knowing that he's physically so close to where she is mm-hmm. must make it much that much harder for her to break whatever mm-hmm. ties she has with him. Yeah. I found myself having a really hard time because, like you said, Mariana, I wanted so badly to be happy for her that this is happening, that she's getting this contact but at the same time I was so angry with her for allowing somebody to treat her this way and I felt the same about Maggie she's so in love with Aaron and he's he's not in neither of these guys are invested in this they're not in it it's plainly obvious and I found myself reading these chapters kind of being a little bit judgmental of these two and I had to stop myself for a second and be like you know what They're fucking going for what they want. Mm. And that's fucking huge. I don't know that if, you know, I think Lena suspects the truth about Aiden, but I don't know that if he breaks it off with her, I don't think she's going to be fucking heartbroken. I think what Lena's getting out of this is she's getting the fuck out of her marriage that she's unhappy in. This is giving her the guts to do that. It's giving her the courage to say, I can have more for myself. In a weird backwards way, I feel like both of these women are being forced to stand up for themselves. And that's amazing, even if they're being treated a really shitty way by these guys. Yeah, I feel that. There was something really interesting, too, that both of them mentioned and also Sloan mentions that they were truly seen by these men yeah and i think this is kind of a running theme from all the novels that we've read so far and the women the protagonist in these novels always at some point say that they wish they either would have been seen that they are now being seen by this individual so it's something that we're always desiring and wanting Mm. and it's part of a as our want as a female as a human being to want to be seen for who we actually are. Yeah. But unless we see ourselves and give ourselves permission to be who we want to be, that individual will not see us the way yeah. we want to be seen. And I think that is so fascinating because as you just said that, I thought to myself, I wonder if guys feel the same way. I wonder if guys ever mm. say mm. or feel, I just want to be seen. Because as, we, as we've touched on before, men really don't kind of conceal I don't think they conceal who they are or what they what they feel or what they mean. You know, if they mm-hmm. want something, then they they say it. There's not this hidden context that you have to decipher like we like we do. Um, so I wonder if that's the same. And I wonder if I wonder if that is more true for women because we're constantly putting on these faces of what we think people want to see or mm-hmm. who we think we are or we're like trying lots of different things and then we but we know deep down who we are and that's scary to show that i don't know i've never actually really thought about the comparison before until right now 
I mean, honestly, I think for us, it starts at such a stupidly young age. Yeah. Because I can remember, you know, having big holidays at my grandma's house with all the cousins and all the aunts and all the uncles and stuff. And it never failed. It didn't matter how young you were. If you were a girl, you were in the kitchen helping the women cook. If you were a boy, you could be outside running around doing whatever the fuck you you wanted wanted. to do. If you were making a mess, it didn't matter because you were a boy. Like that just made, you know, that that's just what you were allowed to do. What are you going to do with them? Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Whereas Mm -hmm. girls, you always have to cross your legs. You always need to speak when spoken to. You always have to be demure. Like I can... My mom's a pretty liberal person, but I can remember countless times when I was told as a kid how I should behave. behave. Yep. And I think that just Oof. tamps down your little inner spirit and says, I have to be what they want me to be, not what I am. Yeah. So true. And the worst part is that in, in these three women, specifically Sloan at one point says that her choices are legitimized when someone actually acknowledges like that things are okay or like yeah. when she's actually being seen by someone, she's like, okay, so then I can be this way because this person then understands it or the situation is now normalized. But if someone right. else doesn't see it, then you're still like, oh my God, I still have to behave a certain way. And it or happens when legitimate. she reads that book, too. It happens when she finally reads Fifty Shades of Grey and she recognizes <laughs> herself in that book. And she's like, oh, my yeah. God, like, yeah. I'm not actually crazy. Crazy. This yeah. is a lifestyle that can be a choice. Mm-hmm. It's an option. Mm-hmm. Something else I think about a lot is why the need for girl time is so important like mm. for me anyway i know there's a huge distinction between girl time and then time with the guys and Definitely. i love hanging out with the guys i've said before like i'm usually better i get along better with guys than i do girls but i crave girl time there's something so different and specific about that's that true. and i think that's so interesting like why i mean i said before i just said the girl bond is strong but <laughs> I wonder if that's just because there's this understanding that we've all, I don't know, there's like this common thread between us that we understand and we feel like amongst ourselves, amongst our gender Hmm. or given gender, Hmm. if you identify as such, I mean, right? that there's this understanding that you can be who you want to be. I don't know. I've never thought about why that is. I just know that that's really true. I think there's also an understanding when you're in a group of women that like we've all been through the same shit. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. Yeah. I could say to the two of you, I was working at a restaurant last week and some customer grabbed my ass and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be a shock to you guys. You've both got your handful of stories when that's happened to you too. Right. Yeah. And you can't really say that in a group of men because they won't get it. And it's just not, they don't have the same story that we all share. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same for, you know, for queer people, too. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't, we as women can't really relate. Men can't really relate. We don't share the same history that they all share together. And so I'm sure that in that community, too, there's a sense of togetherness when you're with your people in Mm -hmm. a way. We can listen. We can try to understand. We can hear them out. We can empathize. Right. Right. But, but there's only so but, much. Yeah, exactly. There's only so much that you can actually know from personally experiencing 
those things? I have experienced that lately with my group of really close friends. We're all really close, but I can tell there's a different camaraderie between my gay guy friends than there is with me. And I know mm. that if if they had to decide who they wanted to like spend time with on a deserted island, they would choose each other over me. And I know it's not personal. It's just mm. that's their relationship and yeah. and it's just something that I'm never going to well, like you said, I just we can't connect the same way, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to know that even though we're really close friends, I'm different because I'm not that. Yeah, but there's also something really beautiful in that. I feel oh, like yeah, completely. It's like having another family. It's a community. Yes, mm-hmm. it is a family. Yeah, it is yeah. a family. It's a chosen family. Speaking of chosen family, woo. Is Lena going to get pregnant with Aiden's baby? Because they are not using protection. And I've noticed that she's been careful to say where he's coming. And this last time in the motel room, he didn't pull out. And I hope there's danger down. Well, I shouldn't say that. I wonder if some drama (laughs) will be stirred. (laughs) I wondered about that, too. It doesn't seem like they're being incredibly safe. Nope. And well, I would the, think that if you're having an affair with somebody and it's like, I don't know, wouldn't you just assume that that person could also be sleeping with other people? Like, I don't know. There just seems to be beyond the baby thing. There's diseases. Right. But there's also that thing of being lost in the moment and being want, wanting something so bad. Which that she is. Yeah. She totally is. Did either of you ever have this? I don't know if terror is the right word. Oh, my. But mm, shock and realization. When you got married and then realized that you would never have sex with anyone else again, and not because of, like, the actual sex, but because of the flirting and the curiosity and the excitement that comes with that, like – there was a moment that hit me where I was like, oh, I'll never be, I'll never get to show anyone that I'm good at this again. You know what I mean? Like, I'll never be, like, a good surprise. Like, I can be as good as I want to be for my husband, but, like, you can only cap that. But I'll never that get to be. That is cocky as fuck, and I love it. I love it so much. But there's that excitement, that first time you sleep with someone where you're like, they don't even know what they're about to get. I love that. And it's like, you get excited because you're like, I know that I'm going to give them a good time, and they don't know that yet oh my god i love and you're you never so gonna have right that now. again <laughs> yeah that excitement of those butterflies yeah like of the first time yeah yeah like let's see yeah. what i can pull out of my yeah. bag for this one like oh. that you how many your options go <laughs> what's, away what's in the bag i Emma? know <laughs> i'm mary poppins over here like <laughs> mary cherry poppins oh. <laughs> oh my god, that's my drag queen name. I'm Cherry Poppins. That must You're exist. Cherry Poppins. That must exist. But do you know what I'm saying? You didn't completely. Okay, good. I, I didn't. Agree. I was so glad to be done with all that. I was so just like I was so glad was to be good. done dating and so glad to be done not having to worry about like the yeah, a lot of the other stuff that comes along with it. I know what you mean by that. It's just a it's just a very specific color of what that I is. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like I think I more so felt like that actually weirdly about like the first kiss thing. Mm. Like, whoa, I'll never have another first kiss with somebody. Mm. That's again. not true. 
Why? Uh, we will all have more kisses with our on-screen counterparts. Uh, that's, true. that's true. I don't know if it counts. I don't know if I it doesn't say that I, it counts. <laughs> but that Just will happen. Ricardo our husbands won't. To this, it doesn't count. <laughs> it does not count. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Been some you know what of I contention mean. with that. <laughs> but Emma, really quickly, I do agree with you 100%. But the thing is, I got married again for the you million so times young. so young. So the thought has crossed my mind, mm-hmm. but it's a very like that this will, this is it for the rest. Of, it's like when things, when you decide something that will be for the rest of your life, when you, yeah, it's. Which is it's why I understand where Sloan and Richard come from because yeah. mm-hmm. they don't have to feel that way. I love the freedom that Sloan finds in that moment when she realizes she can let go of the control of needing to make hers and everyone else's beds. And I'm not going to lie. I thought about you, yeah. Brandy, because I was like, I bet Brandy <laughs> does that when she's on vacation. <laughs> she yeah. makes everyone's bed. I do. But it releases this free-spirited element of her that she had never been able to explore until then. I know that both of you, you included, Mariana, both have a really strong need to be in control of all mm-hmm. situations and have order in your lives. So I wanted to ask you, if you could spend one day of your life without that desire for control, what would you let loose in doing? What deepest desires or realms would you explore if you could turn off that part of your brain for a day? Oh, my God. Yeah. Nothing. The need for control no, 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 is no. never going away. Well, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm even trying to control how I answer this question, I think. <laughs> well, I think it, the problem is mine is like more meta. Because <laughs> it's like, more, it's, it's more of like that, like letting go of that self-awareness is not worrying, not second guessing any decision. Mm-hmm. Not overanalyzing how others will react. Yeah. Or their lack of judgment, if there isn't judgment to like <laughs> the way it was something that I say. I, I think at that point I would be free and clear to do everything that I want, feel pleasure to the fullest, enjoy every second, or at least feel every second. Because there's not that internal mm, yeah. chit chat. I can live the way mm-hmm. that I choose to live, even if it's for that day. And I would be able to find it within myself to let it go. The irony is that that situation, like that day, I could choose to do it every day. So it's not mm. like it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. But yeah. But yeah, I you could, could be like I could have everybody else be a spectator in my day to day as opposed to a participant. Like I'm the Aww. one that's. You know. Uh, yeah, that's a that's great way to, put way to put that. Yeah. This is going to be the most controlled answer about not being controlled. (laughs) And I feel stupid for saying it. But if the idea is that I can live a day without that controlling impulse, like what would I do without that nagging at me? I think I would just spend the entire day in like acting classes because I feel like... When I'm acting is when that little control impulse actually nags at me the worst. And I feel like it's the thing that's in my Mm -hmm. fucking way all the time. Mm -hmm. And when in those brief, tiny little moments Mm -hmm. where I can get it out of the way, I feel Mm -hmm. fucking amazing if I could just get it out of the way. Mm -hmm. If I could just get it out of the way. Yeah. 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 What about you, Emma? (laughs) 
Well, those were such good answers that now mine feels very shallow. <laughs> mine are very specific things I that I it. would do. Oh. I would have an orgy. I would call all of the directors and actors and writers that I want to work with and ask them to see me and tell them I want to work with them and get a meeting. I would dye my hair light purple and get bangs. Ooh, yes, like bangs. Yeah, yeah, I know you rock a bang. I'm so scared. I have never had it's a bang. It's scary. It's fun. And I would try acid. Ooh. But see, you could try acid and probably, well, I guess you could have a bad trip. Never mind. I was going to say acid could be the answer to all of our problems. It could get the control out of the it way. Could. <laughs> or you could just freak the fuck out because your anxiety right. just goes to another level and right. it's like have a bad trip. You, you could give yourself a very serious disorder as well. <laughs> Listen, I so desperately want to champion Sloane because I love her. Mm-hmm. But I was really bothered by her chapter this week, or maybe it was multiple chapters. Of the men that Richard picks for her, because that is what happens, Richard picks these men. She said, they were always nice looking enough, kind enough, smart enough, nothing she couldn't stomach, but she wouldn't Mm. have picked them out herself. And I was like, what the fuck? This doesn't sound like someone who's doing this for herself. It sounds like someone who does this Mm -hmm. to keep her husband happy. And yeah, she probably gets some pleasure out of it. It's probably exciting. But notice that she's not really selecting women for Richard to have a threesome with. This is his game. She even says it was Richard who drove all of these events. It was his predilection she was serving, though she enjoyed it as well. And later, when she discovers Fifty Shades of Grey and tells her friend that she thinks she's a submissive, she notes that, quote, nobody said aloud, is this a way for you to be okay with your husband wanting you to sleep with other men? Then... He gets angry with her when she sleeps with that couple at the hotel because when she's not in touch with him during the act, he doesn't feel involved. And I was like, uh, yeah, I bet when she's fucking a guy she isn't attracted to in front of her husband, she feels a little bit uninvolved, too. I was so just like, oh, that's a good point. I kept feeling like this is something she thinks she's in control of. This is something she's tricking herself into thinking she's in control of. But she's not. He is. I don't know if she's tricking herself. I think she's realizing that she is a submissive. I think, like, you brought it up, I think, two episodes ago, Brandy, that you were thinking that Sloane that Sloan wasn't the instigator, that she wasn't the one that initiated this whole thing, that it was really coming from Richard. Yeah. And I think it's now coming to the surface. Like, now she's actually elaborating on it. Mm-hmm. Type is normally she likes her men bold and powerful just like her husband. But Wes mm-hmm. is not that at all. Like the parts that wouldn't serve her submissive self. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, the whole Jenny thing, too. <sighs> I don't blame her for that, though, because I think that she really did, the, at least the way that she paints it, the way that she sets up Wes and Jenny's relationship is that that would have been one that would have been open enough that they would have discussed that. So I do, I do believe that she thought that Jenny knew and was okay with it because I felt really bad for her when she realized that that wasn't true. But I think even Sloane knows. She was kind of hinting throughout that she had a feeling you Jenny think? did not know. Because she and Richard even talk about it, don't they? She asks Richard, do you think Jenny knows? And he says, probably not. So Sloan... They do talk about it, yeah. 
Sloane knows Jenny doesn't know. She's just enjoying things a little too she's much en- to yeah, she come to terms with it. Wes a lot. What really fucking shredded me about this chapter, though, is when Jenny does finally found out, find out. Richard lets Sloane take the hit for this. It basically comes out, and I think Jenny just believes that Sloane and Wes are having an affair. I don't think Jenny knows the full extent of what has gone on. And when Sloane asks Richard to speak to Jenny, he says no. He He's happy to just let Jenny think whatever she thinks about it. He thinks it's better to just let it lie. And let Sloane take the hit. Pretty fucked up when this is your game. Like, I know what you mean, but I do, I still, I don't know, I still respect, I kind of respect the way that they're going about this. In what way? It just feels like Richard and Sloane have really good, open, honest communication about about this. And I think that they're, they're trying something that, um, I do think that deep down it feels right and natural and and honest for both of them that this is what they want even if like you said sometimes it's painted otherwise by Richard picking out the men for her I think I don't know I I have the sense that Sloane knows herself well enough to speak up or not knows herself but is um, confident enough in who she is as a wife and as a partner and as a woman that she would not do something that she didn't want to do in that sense. That's just how I feel. I don't know. I feel that there isn't a balance in their relationship. I feel that because he's choosing her partners. Men who she admits she's not attracted to. That she's not attracted to. But there's before this section that we read this past week, I I was told I was totally for it, and I was like, "This is you know more oh, power and to then you her." Returned. I want to love the alternative lifestyle that choice that they've made. I just wish that she was an equal partner in it, and I don't feel like she is. But I think she's choosing to not be an equal partner. I don't think she is like that's been put upon her. I think she wants to please her husband. I really think that there's something about her wanting to please her husband. She was afraid when she went to for the um to have sex with that couple and then her phone ran out of battery because her phone died. Because her phone died. And then she was in the middle of it, but she was like, oh, I need to I, I, I need to maybe get back to Richard because he's going to be really upset. So she wasn't fully enjoying it, though it was the first couple that she actually had chosen to be with that he was OK with her being with that couple without him even being present. And when she goes back, he's infuriated with her. So at that point, I'm like, you're mm. choosing to be a part of this and you see and you acknowledge the fact that he's going to be upset. He is upset. I think the thing that troubles me is that quote that I read a, a minute ago from after she tells her friend about Fifty Shades of Grey and she thinks to herself, nobody says aloud, is this a way for you to be OK with your husband wanting you to sleep with other men? But she thinks Uh, it. Her friend doesn't say it. She doesn't say it. But she thinks it. And so a part of me just feels like as much as I want to champion this alternative lifestyle for them, I just don't know how much of it is her actually wanting it and how much of it is her rationalizing it for uh, her marriage. Especially when, I mean, if they were equal partners in this and Jenny found out, why wouldn't her husband go say to Jenny, hey, it wasn't just her. She wasn't having an affair with her husband. It was this thing. This is what we thought was happening. 
I'm sorry that your partner did this to you. We had no idea. But he doesn't. He lets her take the blame. That's fucked. Mm. It's so fucked. That feels fucked to me that I was thinking, well, maybe he doesn't do that now. But in the next chapter, if we were to keep reading, that would happen. Like, I'm like, like, I'm making justifications for him. Like, that's fucked up. One thing I did want to just quickly say about Sloane is that Sloane is the one character that the writer in interviews I've read with her has said she's afraid people will find out Sloane's identity. Because I think Maggie's name is real in the story because because of the trial. Yeah, it's out there. I think that Lena's name has also been changed. But her story, I think, is a little bit smaller and there's not as much chance of people finding out who it is. With Sloane, she and Richard are probably kind of prominent figures in their community. They own a restaurant together. Like, there's only so many people that could be. And I think the writer was really worried that people would be really harsh and judgmental of Sloane, particularly because of this alternate lifestyle that they're living And I found myself wondering why the judgment on her would be harsher. Which is crazy to me because I'm not judging her lifestyle and she can choose whatever she wants to do. I'm judging the way she's allowing Richard to be the dominant one in the relationship. I feel like I'm not even judging. I feel like I'm just questioning, is that what's going on? I feel like I'm just trying to figure out where she is. Is she... What she really wants. What she yeah. really wants, Does exactly. she want to be a submissive? Is she being honest and with herself? That's, I mean, because I think that's fine. If you want right. to be submissive and that's what feels honest to you and you and your totally. partner are on the same page, great. Totally. I'm questioning whether that is the case more than yeah. anything. Yeah. But it just really kind of scared me on her behalf when the writer said she was afraid people would find out who Sloane is and Mm -hmm. what that could mean for her and her kids and her livelihood and her family. Because it's not traditional. Because it's it's not not following the quota of how families should be like and how women should behave. Yeah. And it once again highlighted for me how freaking brave to tell your story, to have published in a book mm-hmm. for everyone to read mm-hmm. that's so funny because i and you had said that in the first episode and i hadn't really thought of it like that i hadn't thought how brave but now and i think i don't know i just keep forgetting that these are real people. Women. sometimes i say things on the podcast and i'm like oh i can't believe i just put that out there in the world right but <laughs> to have it mm-hmm. nothing i'm saying is as is as heavy or significant as what these women these women's stories are and it is published in a book it's very different all right ladies (laughs) (laughs) to close out this episode Mm -hmm. i want to go back and reference something with maggie maggie something we didn't talk about she gets her first tattoo right that says i open at the close nice little harry potter reference which has a few meaningful references for her. So I know that neither of you have tattoos, and I don't either. So none of us have tattoos, which is really weird. You're wrong about that. You have a tattoo? (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. You do? Mm -hmm. Keep going with what you were going to say. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I have a tattoo. Oh, dang. Okay, well, I'm going to ask this question and then I want you to tell us what and where your tattoo is because why haven't we yeah, seen yeah, it? I thought you guys knew about it. I thought you guys no. knew for some strange reason. Okay. 
I don't know. I guess we never talked Dang about it. this. Sorry. Well, I was going to ask if you could get one or if you were to get one, because you can get one. Yeah. If you were to get a tattoo, what would it be slash say and where would you get it? Well, I'm just going to go and say the one that I did get. And it was kind of, it just ha- kind of happened. And I'll leave it at that. I ended up getting <laughs> ballet slippers. Oh, um, and it was an original design. Um, they're very tiny, and they're right above my left hip bone. Aww. So it's something very minor that not many people would be able to see unless you see me in a very scandally clad bathing suit. I guess I've never <laughs> seen you in a bathing suit. <laughs> so yeah, and of course for me it means so much because it was my first love and passion, yeah. and I will always remember it because it's right there, and it's for me. Oh. Yeah. Well, we learned something new about you today. I know. I can't believe we didn't know that. Yeah. I know. (laughs) I don't see myself ever getting a tattoo. I I don't know. I think it's just not for me. But when I think about what a tattoo does for people, I think a lot of times people want to mark themselves with something or remind themselves of something. And so I think for me, it would be that I stand on the shoulders of my mom who stood on the shoulders of my great grandma Mm. and Chablis and Chardonnay stand on my shoulders. My mom, when she decided to go to college, asked my great grandma, my dad's mom, if she would watch us while my mom was at school. If my great grandma hadn't done that, my mom couldn't have gone to college. I don't know who I would be if my mom hadn't gone to college, but I don't Mm. think I would be here. And so I just love that idea of like women helping each other get my grandma got nothing for that. You know, it was probably a lot Mm -hmm. of headaches, but she did it (laughs) and we're somewhere totally different because of it. So you would get your grandma tattooed on your butt? (laughs) Not on my butt. I would probably get it like me. I guess I would want it to be somewhere where I could see it, where it would be more of a reminder for me. It wouldn't be performative for other people. It would be for myself so that I could see it. And I think it would literally say... I stand on the shoulder on the shoulders of Sonia, who stood on the shoulders of Elfida. Chablis and Chardonnay stand on mine. Oh, hmm. as a I reminder like that. that, like I need that one day I will find a way to do for them what my great grandma did for my mom and for us. Hmm. I love that. What about you? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I go around in circles with it because I don't know that I'll ever really get one, but I yeah. think about it a lot. Oh, actually. you do? And Interesting. Well, Ricardo's covered in them. Right. Yeah, but that's not why. <laughs> but um, but I also think that if I were to get one, it would have to be somewhere visible for me where I would see it. So it would yeah. be a, remem- a reminder for myself about something. Yeah. Um, but I think if I were like I already have a tattoo in mind. <laughs> this is so dark, but I have tattoos in mind for if and when both of my parents pass Aww. as like um an honor for them. Yeah. So I think if I were to get my first tattoo, it would be related to that. Yeah. But my dad is very against tattoos because you know in the Jewish in Judaism, you're not allowed to be buried in a Jewish cemetery if you have tattoos because of the history of tattoos with Judaism. So I don't know that I'll ever get one. I mean, I don't think Even though I I want to be turned into a tree when I die. So I don't even, like, the burial site, that's (laughs) That's not not the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so straight edge that we don't have any. (laughs) No, we're so square. (laughs) (laughs) 
except for Mariana. Right, her mm. a badass with her ballet slippers. <laughs> <laughs> hey now. <laughs> All right, y'all. I think that's our episode. I think so. I think so. Thank you all so much for listening. Big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Media Right Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Remember, for the month of December, for every preview we receive, we'll each donate $1 to the Putnam Northern Westchester Women's Resource Center. Please help us support this organization, which provides a supportive environment that eliminates violence against women and children and promotes gender equality. Yeah, man. Come on. Yeah. Help us out. Simply head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a friendly review. Yes, please. Or not even a friendly review. Just leave something. Yeah, so whatever you want. Money. Next week, we are finishing this oh book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So read away and join us next week for the finale. If you're not already, follow us on Instagram at AreThesBooksDrunk to find out about next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's, it's always happy hour here. <laughs> Bye, ladies. Ciao. Ciao, chicas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.